You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 305. Today, we are breaking down the subconscious self-sell, where we ask questions so good that your client is excited and ready to enroll in your programs and services. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And in today's episode, I'm sharing with you a training that I did for the Impact Academy training week. So one of the things that we look at inside of our business is how we can effectively communicate the right offer to the right person at the right time. And I wanted to, and I wanted to create this training so that people could really understand how to effectively communicate in a way that's going to deeply connect with the prospect. So that instead of feeling pushy, sleazy, or trying to overcome objections, instead we communicate through resistance. Because the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter if your program is $27, $2,700, and you are speaking in the many-to-many, meaning or one-to-many, so you're doing a webinar and presenting your offer, or you're doing a one-to-one communication experience, aka a sales call, or an enrollment call, a kickoff, a discovery session, doesn't matter what the name of the call is, where you are presenting the opportunity for your client to say yes to themselves, the five phases of communication are essential. It does not matter where the conversation is being communicated, that is essential. And I'm showing you inside of the training how we break down that experience so that people who are ready to say yes to themselves and actually start generating a significant amount of revenue online, they could go through this process. And the reason I do it in this way is because I don't want anyone coming into my space not excited about it because we need to focus, we need to get to work, and we need to go through a lot of growth components in order to grow. So we're going to be doing that. So with that said, let's go ahead and roll that training I did for the impact week. If you have any questions, please feel free to tag me at Business and Fitness. Let me know what your big takeaways are. Tag me on Instagram. Talk to me. I love to hear from you. So with that said, let's roll that training. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on this training. I have my trusty dog, Charlie, hanging out with me today. So thank you for your patience while we get this awesome presentation all across the board. This is the subconscious self-sells, specifically addressing resistance, or in other words, overcoming objections. But the subconscious self-sell is where you ask powerful questions so that your prospect is excited and empowered to say yes to coming on board and working with you and buying your products and services. Another way to say this 
is mastering the art of selling without selling, without any pressure, without any push, and without coming off sleazy. So let's just go ahead and get into it. So by the end of this training, we're going to be talking about how you can create a pressure-free, permission-based enrollment process where your prospect actually asks you to present the product and help you sell without being pushy or sleazy. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about a 7 to 11-minute process where you can address resistance because what are objections anyway? So we're going to be talking about how you can actually address resistance and objections and overcome them in a really powerful, exciting way so that people are excited to say yes. Then we're going to be talking about the truth about no like, and trust and how to take someone from never hearing of you before to excited to becoming a client in a high ticket experience, high ticket or low ticket in the span of 30 to 45 minutes. Because the truth is that an enrollment call, a sales call, a fitness assessment, they're the fastest way to take someone who's never heard of you before and turn them into a client. So now you might be wondering, well, how do you know this? So I'm not going to spend too much time on this slide because this this is not about me. I jam-packed this training and I want it to be short. And it's about you really getting some tangible action items that you can implement today in your enrollment process and truly double your monthly impact, income, and clients. I've had clients that have taken this process inside of their business, double their monthly revenue just from the questions that we're going to be talking about today. And so this is really what I want to get into. But in case you've never heard of me before, I'm Beverly Simpson. I'm a former district fitness manager for Crunch in Manhattan. I was responsible for bringing in $2.1 million per year inside of their business, running five of their Manhattan and New Jersey gyms. I was the fastest growing personal trainer to, to assistant fitness manager, to fitness manager, to district fitness manager at the time. And then when I left, I have built two multiple six-figure businesses, both from B2C as well as B2B. So B2C is business to consumer. So with my fitness membership and then B2B is business to business. I have literally helped thousands of trainers start and scale, grow their business. And online, I've helped the, the help the, the, new personal physical therapists, personal trainers, anyone in the health and wellness industry. Now, I'm a huge fan of believing that selling is a service and that once you can take your science in and, and really develop your skills, then you won't have to beg for work clients because when you can raise the industry standards by caring about the science of training and really delivering and knowing that selling is a service, then you just won't have to beg for clients. And so we really, in order to look at that, we have to look at your relationship to selling. Or really what I mean is in order to step into that, to really magnetize yourself and become a magnetic seller where you don't have to beg, where you don't have to push, and where you don't have to feel like you are you know begging for clients and becoming that magnetic seller that master of selling without selling we have to look at that relationship to to the experience of selling now we've all had experiences where we have 
interacted with an aggressive seller because most people, when they come into this industry, they don't, or when they come into this business, they don't want to be, to be considered sleazy. They don't want to be considered pushy and they don't want to, they don't want to have this experience where they feel like people are pressured into buying from you. And the reason we have that context is because we've all had that experience. And so typically what I have found is that if you're feeling any type of pressure or or fear and worry of being aggressive, then what happens is that we've had this, this experience where people have done one or, or more of these four common things, which is they, they sell at an inopportune time. And so that means that it's like, they just like, Hey, it's, it's like, if you're in a bar and someone comes up to you and you're just chilling with your friends having a drink and someone's like, Hey, can you, can, can, can you, can I marry you? And it's like, Whoa, you haven't even bought me a drink first. Like, let's just slow your roll. So they're selling at an inopportune time. And oftentimes that will sometimes feel inauthentic. Okay. That's number one. Number two, we've had this experience where people won't take no for an answer where it's like, we just, you know, and we're going to address this today because we're specifically talking about resistance and overcoming resistance because there is a difference between getting to the no and then not taking no for an answer. So we need to just understand that there's a difference and if we, and, and take no for an answer. Okay. The third thing is that people will will lack empathy and they'll lack listening skills. So this happens a lot where, where, where if you've had experiences and you have, you've done a lot of sales calls or you've done a lot of kickoffs or a lot of enrollment, like free sessions or whatnot, is that we start to see some patterns. And so because our brain is designed to automate things and because our brain is designed to just take the path of least resistance and to get there fast, we tend to stop listening and we start to come to these experiences where we feel like, oh, I already know that this person's not going to buy. I already know it's going to happen. And we start to feel a little bit like, oh, I, I already know what's going to happen. And so what ha- if that is, is coming what, or, or is present for you, what happens is we stop listening. And when someone doesn't feel heard, then they don't feel seen and they don't feel loved. And that is when it, you start where, where you run the risk of feeling the ick. And then oftentimes we will lack empathy. And if we cannot empathize with where our current prospect is, they will feel unseen. They will feel unloved and they'll bring an ick. And then the fourth reason why people feel stress about selling is that they straight up lie. And there are people in this world that straight up sell snake oil and they will straight up say things that are just absolutely a lie. And if you're watching this training, then I could already, I I already know that that's not you and that you're not part of that. So hopefully you, so, so hopefully you'll leave this training by the end and realize, okay, great. So it's safe and fun for me to sell because selling is a service. And then there are two other types of selling that people really get into. Number one is the apologetic seller. Now I noticed this a lot for me when I was in this launch roller coaster and not me specifically, but sometimes where it was just this very like, oh, I need to, 
I need to add a ton of value. I need to build no like and trust. And I, as soon as I build up that audience, then I'm going to ask to sell. But what people fail to realize is that when that the ask of a sale is literally just the opportunity for your client to say yes to themselves. Because when people pay, they pay attention. And what people also need to realize and understand is that selling doesn't even necessarily mean a money exchange. Money is just one of the energetic tools that you could use to exchange for, for value or to exchange for the opportunity to say yes to yourself or for the client to say yes to themselves. Other ways to pay or to... to yeah, other ways to pay or to offer INE, meaning an exchange of resources, is email address, is likes, double taps, comments. All of that takes energy and effort. So that is a resource exchange. So what happens to a lot of people when they're getting into this launch roller coaster is they'll be like, oh, I'm going to just spend all this time adding value. I'm going to spend all this time building no like and trust. And then for two weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to come and say, Hey, you know, we'll get back to value, but in a minute, you know, just, you know, can you buy this? Can you blah, blah, blah? Or, you know, maybe if, if, and that type of energy is, 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 can be detrimental and is specifically costing you sales. Because subconsciously, the person on the other side, while they might not be able to articulate it, there's going to be those potentially those feelings of, of, oh, something just doesn't feel right. I don't know. They'll start to lose. They start to lose that feeling of certainty that this person can really help me. And they're not going to be able to really specifically articulate why that's the case. And then oftentimes what happens to people when they overteach and they potentially add so much value is that they run the risk of overwhelming the client. And people don't even realize that. Because haven't you ever had that experience where you've just given so much value, give, 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 and then someone either says, oh man, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. I'm going to go do this on my own. High five. And then what happens is that they go and do this on their own. And then if they can't implement or it doesn't meet their expectations, they start to lose faith in your process. So teaching and over-delivering might actually backfire. Now, sometimes people will just say, let me just give you a wall of information. And then they, people will, will go, whoa. And I know this because this happened to me where they go, whoa, there's too much to do and not enough time. And, or they go, there's too much to do. And I'm never going to be able to do this. Or they go, there's too much to do. And I don't even know where to start. And they get super overwhelmed. And then they get paralysis by analysis. And that often is not going to be putting them into a space where they feel excited and ready to say yes, to move on to, to actually going to take the next step. And it actually will hurt your conversions. So the first thing we really need to do is look at your relationship to selling and really ask yourself, what would it look like to feel like knowing that you selling is an opportunity for your client to say yes to themselves? Because the grocery store doesn't feel stressed about selling. So that's number one. Okay. 
And then once we take a look at the relationship to selling and you step into being that magnetic leader where you can step into that energy of this is, I, this is who I'm here to help. This is what I know I meant to do. And then really dive into looking at the truth about know, like, and trust. So remember earlier when I was talking about how, oh, people live in that if and then continuum. And if that's you, hey, no shade. The only reason why I know that that is true is because that's what I was like. You know, and I didn't even think that I felt like, oh man, I need to to build no like and or that I had any qualms at all with selling. But but the truth is that it started to come out when I would find myself like just, you know, trying to prove myself, right? There's just three things to, or two things really to look at is we have to look at the truth about no like, and trust, because if we're constantly in the pursuit of proving, or we're constantly in the chase or, or building of like, this is my time to build no like, and trust, the law of polarity here is at play, which means that it subconsciously, you are operating from a position and stance of feeling like that no like, and trust isn't there. And that it isn't automatically given to you and that it has to be earned. So that is just not how I operate. And the truth about no like, and trust is that you, because what you do in this world and what you believe is not the definition of your worth and it isn't something that is earned. So we have to look at the honest reason and why People make buying decisions because they're not buying from you because you eat tacos on Tuesday. They're not buying from you because you went to the same high school as them. They're not buying from you because of, you know, who your favorite band is. And yet we have so much attention on building these really deep relationships online. And if you don't believe me, think about, you know, your, your phone, whether you have an Apple, whether you have a, with a Google, what Android or whatever type of phone you have, do you know who the CEO is? And then ask yourself, did who the CEO is influence your make your buying decision? I'm willing to bet. No. Now you might know who the founder is, but then let me ask you, what is Apple's mission statement? Do you remember? You think different. Now, this is because I know this because I use this as an example all the time, but it's just really important to remember that. And if and then if you want another example, because I'll I'll use the grocery store. I, I talked about it earlier and I've said this before, but but people say, oh, well, that's different. That's not, you know, that's not thousands of dollars. Well, Apple is, your phones are, your computers are. Okay. And so what we're really looking at when we're talking about know, like, and trust is we're talking about the ladder of believability, the ladder of believability where they believe in you. And so luckily, so this is, this is the no factor. This is what people really mean. Okay. The no factor is when they believe in you in terms of your authority and your expertise. Now being an authority and an expert is not the same thing. Because I'm willing to bet that you probably right now can point to people who are less qualified than you making more than you. And so no shade. I want you to celebrate that and realize, oh, okay, so there's more, there's opportunity for you. But 
That is because someone has authority, but their expertise might not even line up. Because what I have noticed is that the smartest coaches struggle the most with, with the selling and the communication of the offer. Okay, because that's the next step. They believe in your program, your products, your service. Now, the truth is we could spend another three hours just talking specifically about the offer because it's not your programs. It's not your service. It's, it's the communication of value. It is the communication of the, of, of taking someone from their problem to what they want, the desired outcome, the fastest, most efficient way possible. Okay. And so, in order, so that is the ladder of believability where they can believe in your authority and the like component, right? So, what we're talking about is connection and authenticity that will deepen the sense of trust, but not trust in you as a person. Trust that your offer is going to help them. Okay. And so the like factor is just the connection and the, and the authenticity of human to human on a subconscious level. And so people get this twisted because they chase and they want to be liked, but oftentimes being a good coach means that you have to speak to someone's potential and not what they bring into the room. So what does that mean? Like, for example, like I, I'm a mom, so I, I equate it to my kids. Sometimes I have to talk to my kids and I have to share with my clients and I have to, to, to provide the boundaries that are needed for my children to learn so that I can pull them in closer, so that I can help them faster. And that isn't always going to be what they like to hear. But when we are unconsciously chasing this, like, 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 I need to be liked, I need to be liked, I need to be known, I need to be liked, I need to be trusted, then we lose sight of what it is we are meant to do, which is provide transformation, which is going to be uncomfortable for your potential client. Because if your client could actually do what it is that they needed to do to get to the desired outcome, they would have done it. So what people are really doing is they need to believe in your, in your authority. They need to believe in your expertise and they need to connect with your authenticity to believe that your process, your way is going to help them solve their problem to get to the desired outcome. You also need to communicate the belief in themselves. They need to believe in themselves in order to say yes, otherwise they won't. It's the last domino of resistance to fall. And by the end of this training, we're going to talk about it to, so that you can communicate through that type of resistance and actually address it because most people miss this. Then they need to believe that they need it now. So when you can remove any and all of the resistance for them to say yes to themselves, they will. They will. This is why it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of reps and it's a matter of how effective are you in communicating through resistance to demonstrate, not tell and explain, but to demonstrate and show your authority and expertise. Because there are two forces that play at all given time, desire, what they want, and doubt. And so many people want to go towards the desire because in an effort to stay away from, from being sleazy and fear-mongering and putting people in pain. But that is not the same thing as as turning the light on the truth 
of the pain and problem that's already there because people move away from pain faster than they move towards pleasure, plain and simple. Okay, so now in order to do that, we need to really understand what is perceived value? Because we hear people say all the time, value, value, value. We need to add value. And it almost sounds like white noise at this point. So I want you to get very clear and honest with yourself and know exactly what it means when people are talking about value. And I say perceived because value is, is a perception. It is in the eye of the beholder and it is always within context. So you need to know what is the desired goal and why do they need the goal? And, and what is it that they want? Not what you want them to want, not what you want them and not what they need. What do they want? And then they're evaluating what is the belief in themselves that they can do this? They're evaluating how fast can they get the desired outcome? And they're evaluating what is the level of effort and sacrifice all wrapped up in the experience. Because the truth of the matter is that a hotel, a Motel 8 and a Ritz-Carlton serve the same function, the same purpose. And yet the experience of the two hotels are different. And so now people get this all twisted because they think, I don't want to, to, you know, serve the rich and make the richer be richer and put the poorer down. No, no, no. Because just because something is, uh, you know, free or something is low ticket or something is a low investment, that doesn't mean that it's low value. And if you need an example of that, think about Netflix, think about Disney Plus, think about there's so many different accessible ways that are considered low ticket or considered accessible that are highly valuable. You just need to look at your relationship. This is a separate conversation, but look at your relationship to money because I'll also share, and we'll get into this when we're talking about the re overcoming resistance, you know, expensive compared to what? How do you know that it, it's expensive? You know, just some food for thought, but that is the experience that we are communicating through when it comes to demonstrating our value, our expertise. And so before we even get into the objections, now that we know the context of what this is, we have to really just address what is an objection anyway. So I talk about objections and I don't like to say overcoming objections because it, it, it thinks like we need to achieve something and there's this like momentum feeling. But honestly, when you could pull that off and just talk about it more through like, hey, is this going to, is this for you or is this not for you? And we're really communicating through resistance. We take the pressure of overcoming objections because it's important that we listen and we empathize. So if you go back to earlier when we were talking about the relationship to selling, it's, in, it's important that when you listen and you can empathize, then we can communicate through resistance because, because not taking no for answer, it's not the same thing as getting to the no. Get to the no in the conversation and then take no for an answer if that's what is, what's said. But most people, most people will hear resistance, which is just a doubt. And it really, we, we usually typically see doubt or resistance around the process. And oftentimes this is smoke screens because no one wants to say to you, Hey, I don't think your process is going to work for me or mm, this is not for me. And you suck. No one's going to say that to you. 
Okay. So oftentimes that will come through in smoke screens. And what I would identify as the smoke screens are things like, I need to talk to my partner. I need to think about it and you pray about it. Oh yeah. The yes, but no, like, yes, I'm totally in. Why don't you send this to me in an email? Things like that in that nature. Okay. Then we, then we've got a value proposition, potential objection, which is money and logistics, time, money, those kinds of things that come up. And then we need to get to the ultimate, which is fear. And here's the thing about objections. So most people will tell you and they'll say things to you. If you can't address objections before you've gotten to the end of the call, then you've failed. And that is just plain and simply not true. Every single enrollment conversation that you're having, whether it's one-to-one, so in a sales call experience or one-to-many where you're presenting in a webinar, presenting in a training or a challenge or many-to-many, many different options then you're still going to have resistance. It's natural. Fear is is brain-based and it is there, which I probably don't have to tell you, but it is literally there for your survival. And so if you think about courage for a moment, it's not the absence of fear. Courage is with fear. You cannot be courageous without fear. So if you haven't even gotten to a fear conversation, then we have, which needs to be addressed, then we need to go back into our discovery phases of the enrollment process. Okay. So, and, and we're going to break this all down today. Okay. So fear usually shows up in they're afraid in, in their, you know, there's something about you that maybe they're not jiving with you as a coach or you, your process. They have fear in themselves. Can I do this? They have fear in experience and evidence of yesterday. And they, and they live into that feared future, which then gets projected into, if I do this again, this is what's going to happen. And then they go into like, I'm going to live on the street or whatever that irrational fear of tomorrow is. Okay. So this is what resistance actually looks like. And if we're not communicating through it in our enrollment process, we're leaving thousands of dollars on the table. And so here's what you need to know by the end of your call, by the end, and it doesn't matter if it's one-to-one, if it's one-to-group, if it's one-to-many, none of that matters. By the end of the call, you need to know What is the desired outcome? What do they want? Not what you want them to want, not what you want them, not what they need. What do they want and why? What becomes possible for them when they have it? What is the value underneath it? Now, most people will get to the surface levels of desired outcome where they'll say like, oh, I just want confidence. Well, okay, great. Now, when someone says that to you, what they're really saying is that, oh, that's what they think they need in order to get, what do they want? So what does that mean? So, okay, when someone says that to me, I would be like, great. So when you have 10 times the confidence that you have now, what would you do? What does that look like? Okay. And so then why they haven't achieved it? What's underneath that? Why haven't they gotten there? What's the struggle? Okay. And now then you have to understand if those are the struggles, then what's the problem? Now people get this twisted because they wonder in themselves like, well, what's the difference between a problem and a struggle? So think of it like this. Okay. Your people are in a problem that they know that they're in. Okay. Like they have a headache. Okay. That's a problem that they know that they're in. Like I, I have a, I can't, I can't relieve this pain in my head. And then 
when you ask them, well, what's preventing you from solving it? Oh, well, I can't find the right Advil. I don't have time or I'm trying ibuprofen. It's not working. So they're doing all these things, okay, to try and solve the problem that they think they're, that they're in. Now, what happens is that, and then this is that, which is the actions. These are the mistakes. These are the actions and behaviors that they are taking. Or maybe they're like, oh, I just don't have enough time. I'm putting off going to the store. I don't want to go to CVS. Okay. So then you, what happens to so many coaches is that they know that there's a real problem. What's the real problem? Oh, well, they're dehydrated. Or maybe they're not dehydrated. Maybe they have a concussion. So there is a problem that your clients know that they're in. There's a real problem. There's a reason that they haven't gotten to what it is that they want. And you need to be able to be crystal clear on what those are for them. And so usually, and then we also need to know what is the emotional, this is the emotional pain of, of being in the problem, of, of taking these actions, these mistakes. It's the behavior. Because of beliefs, the misconceptions that they're operating from. You need to know this because this is how you'll subconsciously connect with your people. Okay. And you will have the opportunity, whether they buy from you or not, to get on the phone with them and ask them these powerful questions so that you can actually get these answers. Because what happens is most people will survey their audience. What do you want? What do you want to hear from you? And what hear from me? And that's like asking your kids, what do you want for dinner? And they're going to be like mac and cheese and ice cream all day long. But you and I, and, and they're going to tell you either A, what, what they think you want to hear, or they will tell you what they think they need. And so we need to ask better, more powerful questions to actually get to what it is that they want. And then we need to get specific in the actions that they take, the behavior that they take. Because that also is an outcome and beliefs, meanings. And it's just the more specific that you can get with your questions and more specific in articulating the outcomes and effects of when they take those actions, this is how you demonstrate authority the more subconsciously connected they are to you because you have been able to articulate where your client actually is. And it deepens that sense of believability in you, in your connection, in your authentic self. Okay. Not dancing on the social media and pointing and saying, oh, this is, you know, I, this is my favorite band. Okay. So so we need to know that and you have the power and opportunity to collect that information in the call. So how? Now, there are five phases in the enrollment call, in the assessment. Now, people get, you know, people will say sales assessment, they'll say kickoff, fitness assessment, whatever it is. The first touch point where you are potentially having a conversation with a prospect where you're asked, where, where both parties you know, where you're not in this urgency of, I need this sale, but it's where both parties get to have a conversation around, around, oh, this is, is this for me? 
Okay. So I really build out my process within five phases. Okay. We're going to set the frame and I'm going to go through them briefly. Honestly, I, we'd be here all day if we just like really dived into this because there are so many different questions that we can ask, but I do want to give you some of my best tips today so that you can really take instant action. You, you could take, and you know, as long as you're taking notes, write down exactly what it is that we're going through. And this can two X your, your conversions just by take, by going through these phases. And I'm going to give some of my best stuff to you today. The one caveat that I want to say, because people say, I don't like scripts and I don't like blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. Neither do I, because here's the thing at the end of the day, people connect with humans, not scripts. And so you want to be able to make sure that you are stepping in powerfully and that, and with authority, which first comes from a decision to be one. And then from the energy of knowing like, Hey, is this the right fit for both parties? Okay. And having a script is essential because when you can ask these and think about actors, if you think about your favorite movie, bring your favorite movie to mind right now. If you look and and really think about how you love these characters, none of those people set they memorized the script. Those aren't their words. Those are the scripts, script that they embodied, that they became unconsciously competent in delivering in a way where they felt so connected, where you felt so connected. But those aren't those words. So build out your script to, to create the same experience so that you do so many reps, you get unconsciously skilled, and you become unconsciously competent. That is what we're doing. Okay. So the first is we need to frame it. We need to build rapport and we need to put everyone at ease, which is a five minute process. We're not going back and forth about where you went to high school, where you lived. Blah, 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 blah. This is not like, Hey, let's be best friends. This is, Hey, let me put you at ease. Let me show you that everything's going to be fine. I'm going to help you really help you. And I'm going to do it fast because time is valuable. And so and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about no like and trust, right? So we're really just going to be setting the frame, okay? And then what we're going to be do in, doing inside of, of the next phase is we're going to be doing an information gathering. So earlier, we need to get all that information. What is the problem that they're really in? What is and what is the problem that they think that they're in? What's the pain of the problem? What do they want? What are they trying to fix it? Like just really get all that data. Because one of the things that people do is that they spend more time in phase three where they're doing the delivering their insight in an effort to demonstrate expertise where they just end up overwhelming their client or walling of information and people stop listening. And this is, you know, to like, let me prove how good I am so I could build no like and trust, which ends up just backfiring on them. Because what you really need to do is gather the information on problem and desire. Okay. Then we're going to go into phase four, where we ask for permission to present. We're not just going to, I don't get onto this call thinking this is a sales call. This is a, let me find out if we're the right fit to work with each other. And this is another thing that people do in my opinion, which, which they, they mess up. And I have looked at hundreds of scripts. Okay. And, and I have looked at things and, and a dozen a dozen of te like templates that people have, have given 
which has this like, oh, let me let me take this sales call to be 15 minutes. And it's like, wait, in 15 minutes, you want to take someone who's never heard of you before and try and sell them a $10,000 program in 15 minutes from this energy of arrogance of like, oh, no, no. So you're lucky to be here with me. No, no, no. That's not serving. Okay. That, you know, and then it's so funny to me because then people are like, I don't want to be sleazy, but that's, you know, and I just want to help people, but I'm not going to give anyone more than 15 minutes. And then if you come to me and you say, but Beverly, one-on-one isn't scalable. How do you know that? Over here at B. Simpson Fitness in the summer, there was a time where there were 60 one-on-one calls that we were having every week between three people. So, so of course, so people want to be connected to people. And when you, when you call the bank, are you excited to talk to the automation or do you want to talk to a person? How fast are you to hit zero? Okay. So I, if you, and I also think of it like this and I encourage my clients to think of it like this, which is if you weren't getting paid for this at all, isn't this what you would be doing? If not, then let's look at why we're doing this. Okay, now people get that twisted because they think, oh man, I just need to give everything away for free and the service heart. But I'm telling you, you cannot pour from an empty cup. And if you look at not-for-profits and you look for, you look at people who are doing good in the world, the number one thing that they need to do is they need to raise money. So, so money is an amplifier for who you already are. Okay. So so if you're when you, when good people have money, they're going to make a great impact. Okay, and then of course the reverse is true. So so when we get to that permission to present the offer or the program, so this you know sometimes I'll be in a call and and it's not the right fit, and I won't present. I'll give homework. I'll tell them to go do something, or I'm going to just you know transition into the presentation of the offer, and then you must address resistance. So this is what the core content is of our training today. So the thing that we like to do when it comes to resistance is we we do our best to address the universal resistance that you can already anticipate. Like on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about the process? Who's in your house right now that supports you with your goals? On a scale of one to 10, how urgent is this problem to fix? How much time do you have a week set aside to help you with your goals? These are the questions that you could be asking during the information collection gathering because those universal objections of time, money, and proposition, and those are going to come up and we're going to need to address it. Here's the thing. Once I have now communicated through resistance or asked all of the questions by the time I transition into the actual investment. And now where we start to communicate through the resistance, the majority of the questions that I have asked in the discover phases are open-ended. Now we're going to start to communicate and bind, meaning we start asking either or questions. Okay. Because now we need to help them whether it is $27, whatever the case is, their sympathetic nervous system is likely going to activate because the brain is trying to keep you safe from change, even if the change is good. Okay. And so we need to really communicate through that resistance. So what we're going to do once we share the investment 
is I typically don't even share that investment until I know they feel good about the process, that we have gotten them to a yes, they're all in, then I'm going to share the investment. And of course, if you've had any type of sales training at all, don't speak. Just share and wait. Because, the, you know, we hear first one to lose, talk, loses. Well, all of that, just all of that is nonsense. This is, this is the opportunity to create the safe space for your clients or potential clients' nervous system to just like go crazy. Okay. And then stuff is going to come up and they're going to give you their stuff. Okay. Now questions are typically resistance. Oh, do you think this is whatever the question is, or this is the yeah, buts or whatever. Okay. So what we typically do is we acknowledge it, we empathize and we communicate through it. Okay. And typically it comes down to these three objections, process or smoke screens where they don't want to like share with you, like, oh, I need to think about it, partner. I need to pray about it. Or the yes, but no, which is, oh, this is great. Send me an email. Do you have testimonials? Like these are usually smoke screens that are around the process. We're going to work through those today. Then we have a value proposition objection. So this is like money and logistics. Okay. And then we have to get to a fear conversation, a fear of you. Like is, is, can you really do what it is that you say that you can do? Is this the coach for me? A fear of self. Can I do this? I'm new. A fear of yesterday. I've done this before and it didn't work. And then a fear, if a fear of tomorrow, the future. The evidence of yesterday coming through to tomorrow and living into that, which doesn't exist. You can't, can you go and show me yesterday outside? No. Can you go show me tomorrow outside? No. All of that is fear. You know, we say this false evidence appearing real, right? All of that is just fear. And we need to communicate it. We need to address it. We need to work with fear because you cannot be courageous without fear. So this is, this is operating in faith with fear walking next to us. Like I can take, like we could do this together. Okay. And so there are four core ways that we're going to really overcome this. So we're going to do this with content and context. So with, with information or, or our yet our, our share, our analogies, our shifts, and then the why behind we're saying this content and context. Okay. And so things like original solutions and support. So oftentimes these can show up in presentations of like bone extra bonuses. Or for me, when I like to set up paid lead acquisitions for my clients, this is where I'll use original solutions to just get them so excited for the opportunity to say yes to, to themselves. Okay. And then we're going to do the uh, counterexamples. So counterexamples are other stories and experiences and evidence that show them it's possible. And then we're going to redefine so we can shift perspective. And then we're going to highlight the consequence of the truth that's already there. Then we're going to redefine the experience and we're going to reshift the experience for the potential client so that we could get them back to selling themselves. Because by this point, they're already sold. They just need to revisit that experience. Okay. So let me walk you through some of the specific examples. So if you haven't gotten your pen and paper yet, this is the time because the, I'm going to give you some of the most powerful questions that you can ask and re-ask to really help your clients say yes to themselves. Because remember, selling is a service. Selling is not about you. Selling is about the client 
saying yes to themselves to get the desired outcome the fastest, most efficient way possible. So here's some things that usually come up as smokescreen, things that aren't that people will say, but is not the root of the objection. Partner, think about it, the yes, but no, the I need to pray about it and meditate about and meditate on it. Do you have testimonials? Things of the of that nature. So what we want to do is we want to acknowledge it, we want to uncover the root, we want to get them back to the yes, and then we're going to re-ask. So for example, yes, when someone hits me with like, I need to think about it, you, you oftentimes you've heard things like, oh, okay, great. What do you need to think about? Which automatically puts the client on the defense. Anytime we're overcoming resistance, we need to straight up get off clients on the defense. They don't need to explain to you, to anyone, why they're doing what it is that they need to do. We don't want them on the defense. We want them in a positive reframe. But here's the other thing. If we don't reframe them, if we don't get them back to the yes, we're trying to get them in a a positive frame of thinking when they're in a negative state. Because what is an objection? What is all resistance? It is no. No. So if we're trying to have a yes conversation in a no state of mind, we're done. We got to get back to the yes. Okay. Now, if you didn't even have them in a yes before you presented, that's a different conversation. We got to get back to the yes. So yes, I completely understand. And I know it's an investment in your health or, or I would totally feel that way if I were you too. I w- I'm married. Like I'm always to acknowledge it. I'm always going to, I'm always going to, to, to empathize. Like I get it. I know I've done this. Like I'm, I'm, I would feel that way too, if I were you. And then I'm going to say like, so before I let you go to go have a think about it, or, or before you go and talk to your partner, could I ask your opinion before you go and think about it and sleep on it? Do you think this, whatever program you presented can help you get to the desired outcome? How do you think that it can? Okay. Now I want to make sure, did I break down the partner one? No, I didn't, but I, I did it here. Okay. Because one of the common mistakes that I see people do when they're talking about partners is they'll ask like, Hey, you know, what do you think your partner is going to say? I don't know. That's why you, <laughs> I don't know. That's why you're going to go think about it or go talk to them because I have no idea what my partner is going to say. Okay. So before we even get there, okay. So you want to be thinking, you, you want to get them to the, to the yes. Of like, hey, oh, cool. Of course, you can go talk to your partner. I'm, I'm, I get it. I'm, I'm married. I'm, I have a partner. Okay, and so then I'm gonna get them. Like, hey, can I ask your opinion before you go and and talk to your partner? Do you think this can help you? And how do you think that it can? So get them back to the positive yes, and then we shift it and get to the reacts. Like, okay, so then what's your plan if your partner says no? Because now we're highlighting a consequence and they have to defend the yes that they're saying. Okay, so when you go to your partner, do you feel like your partner will want you to be successful or how do you feel? Okay, so so once we get them to really think about like, and, and then another thing to be thinking about when it comes to partner, because some people get upset and they're like, me asking my partner is not a smokescreen. I, we have a rule. Totally. Now, usually with partner, 
two things are at play. We're either talking about permission, where we have to ask permission because there's an agreement. And then we're also talking about, uh, so it's either permission-based or respect-based. I need to ask permission or like, hey, this is a big investment and I want to be respectful. Okay. But again, notice how I talked about that. It's not really a partner objection. It's a money objection. So it's usually smoke screens first. Then we go through a value proposition, logistics and money, and then we get to fear. Okay. So the other thing that happens is that with these types of smoke screens, like I need to think about it, the yes, but no, like, oh yeah, this is great. He just put me in an email. These are oftentimes they're they're the smoke screens. They're not telling you what the real root is. The same with money. Oh, we're gonna get to that too. Okay. Is that is that people will say that it's money, but it's really a value proposition. It's really, it's really that they don't, it's it might even be process-based. Okay, so we need to get to the root of what the actual objection is and then shift it and then re-ask. Okay. So here are some other questions. But first, let's get them back to the yes. And then we could be like, hey, can I be honest and ask? Like, remember when you said this? What's the plan if you don't do it? Okay. Or when they say, think about it, get to what it is specifically that they're thinking about for after you're like, hey, how do you think it can help you? And then they tell you and then you're like, okay, great. So when, before you go or when you go have a think about it, what specifically are you thinking about? Then I'm going to give context for why I'm asking that just to see if I can help so that I can make sure I answer any and all of your questions before I let you go. So you're asking the questions and then you're giving context. Okay. Then once, then usually when you work through that, that is objection number one. Then we're going to come up to the money and logistics and we're going to get to usually, well, like, ah, this is really a big investment. Okay. Okay, great. Now we're going to do the same process. Acknowledge it. Got it. I know that it's totally an investment. Now, can I ask if we take money out of the equation and this was completely free, would you do it? So now why I'm asking in that way is because I want to make sure that we're really dealing with a money value proposition and that question, or that we're really maybe just dealing with money logistics, like a matter of like, I need to go move money around, or maybe it's like a time logistics, or is this that we have a value proposition problem, meaning they don't think that the value's there, maybe there's some self stuff, or, or are we dealing with fear? Like we got to figure, we got to find the root of the actual money issue. Okay. And of course, we're always going to acknowledge and empathize. Okay. So if you said like, Hey, if this was free, would you do it? And there's any hesitation, then we've got to go back to the process and we have to overcome the process. And we need to address what that, what their issue is on the process. Okay. And then if you're like, no, 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 it's a 10. I'm in. Okay, great. So then let's just look at your cash on hand right now so that we can start to find out if this is logistics. Because like, I get it. Cash is lifeblood. So it's important that we protect that. So with that said, do you have access to credit your fund? Or do you have access to credit to fund your health? Now, some people have like, no, 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 I'm not funding credit. I'm not doing it with credit. Then it's going to be like, okay, cool. So that since everything is customized, we can do a payment plan of X or Y. Which one works best for you? So you can use payment plans, okay? And then you could also say, you know, I completely understand that it's a lot of, you know, money, but just out of curiosity, it's expensive compared to what? You said it was a lot of money, but compared to what? Right. But money and logistics, we can typically overcome when it's literally, if it really is like, well, the timing, blah, blah, blah. 
whatever that is. Okay, but usually it's going to uncover fear. When you get to the fear conversation, this is going to be the last domino that falls. Okay. And it's going to be fear of self, fear of you, fear of yesterday, fear of tomorrow. I don't know if I can do this. I'm new. I've tried this before and it didn't work. And, and what happens if I, if I do this and it doesn't work, then blah, you know, this is going to happen. Okay. So now we have to acknowledge it. And this is the hardest to overcome because most people are going to get hit with like, I just don't know if I can do it. And what are you, what are you going to say? Yeah, 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 you can. Rah, 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 you can. That's like telling when a kid says to you, like, oh, I'm just so ugly. Or people say like, oh, I just don't feel good about myself. No, it's our instinct to be like, no, you're beautiful. And that's not going to address the fear. That's not addressing the objection. That's not addressing the resistance. That's not communicating through the resistance. Remember, we have to move in faith. We have to move with courage, which is the integration of fear, not the absence of it. And so, and so. You know, especially when it comes to health and wellness, because this is not the first time they've tried to get healthy and fit before. So we're always going to acknowledge it. We're going to empathize it. And we're just going to really get to the root of it. Okay. So like, it just sounds like I'm hearing a little bit of uncertainty. Can I ask you specifically, what specifically is coming up for you? Is it about the program, yourself, me, or what's coming up? And we need to get to what, what the issue actually is. And then we're going to come, then we need to shift it and we need to shift it where it's like, Hey, like, are you married to the first person that you kissed? If they're worried about yesterday or tomorrow and chances are they're not. So we can use analogies. We can use stories. We can use examples or the redefine to redefine it, to shift their perspective, to see that like, Oh, maybe. I, I, I can do this. And now the other thing too, that I want to say about fear, especially if they're overcoming fear of self, how you do this is by borrowing your, your authority by borrowing your confidence. So if you're not confident that you can deliver, people will read that they need to borrow your confidence to say yes to themselves. Okay. This can show up in a guarantee. Listen, keep working with you until you do. Or, or like, listen, I we only take people who are committed. And what's the alternative? If you say no, this can show up at a counterexample. This can show up at a consequence. Okay. And then we work through it. And then I, what I want to say too about this is that when we're communicating through this process and we're going through smokescreen logistics here, or we're going through money logistics in here, okay? This can feel like so awful. This can feel like the longest part of the call. But the truth is, it's really seven to 11 minutes of communicating through resistance. That's what this is, okay? People will ask, well, how long do you stay in the saddle? Well, for me, I stay in the saddle, you know, until we have addressed all of the resistance. I don't get out of the saddle unless we're just running around in circles. Uh, if I've re-asked three times, I'm going to let them go. And I don't want anybody who is not here, who doesn't want to say yes. But what I want you to know is I get them to the no. So they're, you know, when I'll say things like, well, what's the alternative? Are you okay with that? And if they say that they're okay with the alternative, then I'll let them go. 
Oh, sometimes I will bind them and I will give them options. So it's either going to be this or it's going to be this. Which one? And I get them to say it. And then I'll say, okay, great, cool. And then we will part ways as friends, no hard feelings. But, but I know as a coach that peoples will bring with them all of these subconscious reasons for why it's not working. And, and that will stay with them until they can, until they can release it, until they can find that coach that will speak to that potential. Hopefully that's you. And that's what we want to be doing in the enrollment process. And then people walk away feeling empowered and excited to get started. And now in order to do this, you just need the reps. You need more reps. That is going to give you the skill and the confidence. So thank you so much for hanging out. If you want to see examples of this, if you want more tips, you want to practice, then there's two ways to come and connect with me. You can come see me on Instagram or really any platform at the Simpson Fitness. And then also when you come into my Facebook group, it's groups backslash online fitness marketing in Facebook. We do practices of this for free all the time. There's a ton of examples for this. You could always put in your, your, your questions, your process. You could always come and say hi to me there. Please let me know that you watch this. I'd love to hear your, I'd love to hear from you. It's me. You're going to be talking to me. So I love to hear from you. I want to hear about you know what your big takeaways are and what your questions are. I'd be happy to to uh, connect with you. And the last thing that I want to say about this is because pe- that, that comes up for a lot of people is they'll say, I don't want to do sales calls because it's not repeatable or it's not scalable. But the thing is, is I really want to encourage you to look at that relationship to selling because if you're trying to skip the fundamentals of, you know, not doing these calls and just going straight to scaling and trying to, you know, script this perfectly and say it perfectly one to many, that we're running the risk of putting a, a wall. We're running the risk of putting distance between you and a potential client. And and we want to pull them in, even when you get to the one-to-many. These fundamental skills that we've just talked about inside of this training can be used in your webinars, in your masterclasses, in your challenges, in your many-to-many. It is the backbone of communicating your value proposition and mastering the art of selling without selling. So thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Hopefully this was helpful. Love to connect with you in the interwebs. I'll catch you on the next training. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.